Last summer, uh, a man named John was out in his driveway uh, with a hood up on his 2004 Ford F-150. And uh, his, his neighbor, Tony, was looking through his kitchen window and he sees the scene and notices uh, John out here. And it looks to him like John could use his help again. And so uh, Tony goes out into the garage, slides into some, some old work shoes, his mowing shoes, and uh, loads up a bucket of tools and gets ready to head on over to, to see how he can help John today. And uh, a few minutes later, John hears what he expected to hear but really hoped he wouldn't. Howdy, neighbor. Looks like you could use some help. Well, John did what he usually did. He tried to shrug off this help. Um, he tried to explain to him, you know, uh, it, it really isn't that big of a deal. It's not going to be a, a real difficult job. And, you know, to be honest with you, the way things are crammed in here, it's, it's really more of a one-man job as it is. And, you know, he tried to tell him, you know, he really appreciates the help, but Tony was persistent, and Tony wouldn't let it go. And so Tony uh, drops the bucket of tools right there on the concrete driveway and all but nudges, you know, knocks John out of the way to, to get a better look there under the hood and, and survey the situation. Now John had spent the last few days figuring out what the issue was and uh, several hours researching, you know, on YouTube of course, uh, he's like me, uh, trying to figure out how to fix it. So he knew exactly what needed to be done, whereas Tony was the kind of guy who took his vehicle to the mechanic and of course he had no idea what was going on with John's truck. Um, as a result, John's hour and a half job or so turned into a four plus hour venture with a lunch break where go figure Tony comes inside and John's wife waits on him and feeds him John's food. <laughs> Have you ever been in a situation like this where someone uh, you know what you're doing but someone who really is clueless will say <laughs> comes along and wants to help you? Have you ever, ever been in a situation like, you know what you're doing, someone who doesn't comes in, oh, let me take a look at this, I got this, under control, they try to offer that help, I call it unhelpful help, that's what it is, it's, it's, it's help, they're, they're, they're there, they mean well, I think, but it's unhelpful. So I call it unhelpful help, and that's the title of this morning's message is unhelpful help, because the devil has been stirring up unhelpful help, we could call it, in this world uh, for centuries, really. He uses his influence in this world to get people to believe lies, things that are not in harmony with Christ or his word. He gets them to believe these lies, and then these people go out and share these lies with the rest of the world, anybody they come in contact with, including you and me. Now, these people, many of them, in many instances, often they are um, convinced of what they believe. They believe this is the truth. They're not out there like, I work for the devil, here we go. That's not what they're doing. They believe it, and they think that it would be good for you if you believed it too. They think they're helping, but it's really unhelpful. You and I, those who have received the truth with gladness, oh, we need to identify this stuff. We need to discern and know when the help is unhelpful that's being offered to us. When people are trying to influence us, you know, oh, you're a Christian? Well, do you guys do this? Do you guys do that? Have you, have you guys ever tried this? Well, what about doing that? We need to understand when that's unhelpful help, and we need to not give this stuff a foothold in our lives. We need to not say, well, if we, if we just start doing that for them, you know, maybe that'll welcome them in. That'll, that'll get them, you know, we want them to keep coming to our church. And so, 
no, we need to, I mean, be, be full of grace and, and love and be uh, helpful to other people, but we need to understand when things are not in line with God's word, we don't need to allow that stuff to influence us. We don't need that kind of unhelpful help in our lives. So open your Bibles up to Colossians chapter 2 again this week. Colossians chapter 2, and as you can see, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 23 today. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. Now today's uh, scripture, if you've got it open in your Bibles, you already see it, and I can, uh, I guess, throw it up here on the screen as well. You see that it starts with the word, therefore. And you guys know by now, that's our, that's our favorite word, right? When we see the word therefore, we need to understand what it's there for, correct? Correct. Wonderful. All right. So as we begin reading at Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, keep in mind what Paul has just said, right? Because the therefore points back to what has recently been said. So keep in mind that Paul has just finished writing about Christ's preeminence, that he's over and above everything, right? That's what that means. And, and the fact that all the fullness of deity dwells in him, in Christ, in bodily form, and that in him we are made complete, and that he's the one who paid the price for our sins with his death on the cross, and that he is, like I said, over over and above all rule and authority. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So, no one is to act as your judge um, because... Um, no one is more important in your life than Christ. Nothing is more important in your life than what he has done for you, it can do for you, it is doing for you. So no one is to act as your judge regarding these unnecessary things or these, these in some cases, peripheral things we might call them. No one is to act as your judge with regard to these things because it's all about Christ. You need to focus on him. He needs to be the judge, him, his word, his nature. Now. When it says no one is to act as your judge, this is not a command for us to be, you know, deeply offended and angered and up in arms and full of, you know, righteous indignation every time someone inevitably does act as our judge uh, with regard to these things and many other things. This was a command for the Colossians to not allow people to have this kind of influence in their lives, not to hold a position of authority, not to, not to be given that kind of rank where they can tell you basically what to do. Or when you read in the word or you, in their case they were you know if they're taught by an apostle or someone who has heard from an apostle not to uh, go and then hear Joe Schmo on the corner say you know well have you guys also tried you know beating your back you know with uh, with you know flogging yourself because you know your body's evil and everything you know, weird stuff like that not to go and hear that and then be like well maybe that's maybe that's wise maybe that's humble maybe I should do that that's what the command is don't let people influence you to do things that, that aren't focused on the substance, which is Christ. Now, reading some of the things that Paul mentions here in verse 16, uh, we can see, we can assume, I guess, that there were some folks teaching uh, strict dietary rules. There's all kinds of uh, religions and even non-religious uh, groups, all kinds of groups, who practice these very specific dietary um, Restrictions. You know, they, 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 they publish their own diets and prescribe their own diets, I guess I should say. Um, in some cases, it's complete abstinence from meat or complete abstinence from other types of food or something. A lot of them, you know, prescribe some form of a vegetarianism. Um, some, you know, say none of this kind of drink, none of that kind of drink. 
There's also obvious references here in this verse to um, some old Jewish holy days, right? Festivals, new moons, Sabbaths. These are all things that were prescribed by God. But once again, just like we saw back in verse 8 when we talked about that, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, uh, last week, the underlying foundational truth of this whole statement is found in Christ, right? Uh, people can talk all they want about diets. They can talk all they want about festivals and special times of the year and these special events and holy days. But ultimately what matters, the substance belongs to Christ. It's all about him, correct? Some of, the, some of the, the, these things, they had value, I guess. The, the clearly Jewish items in this list, of course, had uh, some sort of value. They're called a shadow of things to come, right? Um, that's in verse 17. Let me put that up there for you. It's called a, a shadow. This is referring to the Jewish things in the list, right? Now, what do you know for sure when you see a shadow? Not a trick question. Think of the, think of the simplest answer you can think of. When you see a shadow, you know what? There's something there, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different things, right? You know there's light, and you know there's substance, right? You know there's something there. Um, if, uh, if we were downtown here in Madison, and the sun was, you know, at just the right angle, shining behind me, or it's nighttime, and, you know, the street lights behind me or whatever, you're over on this side of the corner, and I'm over on this side of the corner. As I approach, you're going to see my shadow before you see my substance, Right? And so you're going to be able to tell some things from the shadow, right? You can learn some things. You're going to understand that it's a, a human being, not an animal, right? I mean, I hope the way I'm approaching you, you can tell. This is not a dog, okay? <laughs> I hope you can figure that out. Or an inanimate object because it's walking. It's got legs. So you can figure some things out. You might even be able to tell if, if it's male or female. You can understand some things, learn some things from a shadow, but once I actually appear from around that corner and you see me, the game kind of changes. Now, what I have come and you have, uh, what I've, when I come around the corner and you see what I am, it doesn't change necessarily what you saw in the shadow, right? I don't totally contradict, you know, ha ah, gotcha. You know, you see those, um, those like shadow dancers that do weird things. It looks like a tree and then like a tiger's jumping over and, you know, swallowing an eagle with a snake in its mouth, you know, all these weird things. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, it was just six human beings in leotards. You know, it, it, that's not the way it works in the real world. You come around the corner and, you know, look, I'm, I'm the person with the arms and the legs you saw. You know a lot more about me now, right, than you did when you were observing the shadow. And you're not going to continue to, oh, hold on, glad you're here and all, but I'm still trying to figure out your shadow. Right? You're not going to keep looking at the shadow. I'm there now. You're going to look at me. You're going to understand who I am. You're going to ask me questions. You're going to listen to what I say. Uh, now, I'm not giving myself some authority in your life. I'm just saying I'm trying to connect this to Christ, Right? You're going you're gonna to start looking to him, not to the shadows anymore. You're not going to try to be learning uh, things like that. You see the value of Christ when you consider him to be the substance creating the shadow. It's interesting. The word Paul uses here for substance literally means body. Okay? In, in every other, I shouldn't say every other because um, I don't know that for an absolute fact. In almost every other, I looked at several of them, in almost every other instance of this word being used, it means body. Now, it can mean body like a physical body, or it can mean like a body of people, a body of evidence, but it means body. The word that he uses here. See the connection to the shadow? It is the body that gave the shadow, that cast the shadow. When you uh, were looking to the shadow, the body has now come. The body is here, focused on Christ. Paul's teaching, don't let anybody uh, judge you on these kinds of things when you have 
Christ. You've got Him. So whether it was the, the Jews trying to force these old ordinances on them or uh, misguided fundamentalists, the Gnostics and different people like this, trying to get them to become vegetarians or whatever it may have been, the Colossians needed to remember that they have Christ. They know the mystery of God fully. They are connected to the head of the church, Christ. Now, what does this have to do with us today? What kind of lessons can we learn from this? Well, there's at least a few scenarios we're likely to face where this information would be handy to us. Scenario number one, there are Christians running around all over the world with opinions, all right? And Romans chapter 14, verse one, tells us we need to to show them some grace, right? And when I say them, I'm talking about you showing me grace, I'm talking about me showing you grace, right? We're all them. We're all these Christians with opinions. It says, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. His opinions. Believe it or not, Christians have opinions, and the Bible teaches that is okay. The Bible teaches it is okay for Christians to have opinions. The Bible, though, teaches what is not okay is to condemn them in our minds or with our actions uh, just because they uh, do some things that are uh, matters of opinion that we don't agree with or that you don't agree with. So don't be the person on the other side of this situation that the Colossians were dealing with. Don't be the one on the other side judging and saying, well, if they were, they were really Christians, they really knew uh, what, what they need to know, they wouldn't be doing this or they wouldn't be doing that. Right? When that's just an opinion of yours, don't do that. Don't do that. Scenario number two There are, uh, I say, quote-unquote believers uh, running around all over the world who have incorrect interpretation of Scripture. Um, People in the world today who who believe Jesus, who believe the Bible, you know, they, they claim a belief in both of those things, who are out there teaching that the Sabbath must be kept, that your hair can't be braided, you need to wear a skirt at all times, you, uh, and it needs to be very long, right? You can't uh, wear makeup, you uh, have to have your head covered when you pray, you have to be a vegetarian, you have to celebrate all these special uh, holy days, or you're not holy, so on and so on and so on, all these things, you've heard them. Well, we can't let these people influence us. We can't allow them to hold the position and authority uh, of judge in our lives. We've seen Christian churches in our country, right, turn from the pure ways of Christ to these complicated ways of hybrid Christianity, allowing all these different influences in, right, mixing in various elements of, of denominationalism, of Judaism, of Catholicism, and aspects even of the corporate world, right? How many churches now have a, a board, right? That's not uh, in the Bible, you know, it, it's, but we mix in these things. You know, well, that's, that looks right. That sounds right. We'll all get together and vote on things and, and move forward. But that's not what the Bible says to do. And so we, we need to not be letting these things get mixed in. This, this all happens as a result of Christians feeling the pressure uh, from people who misinterpret Scripture. We don't need to be giving them that kind of authority. Uh, we should be giving full authority to Christ and His Word in our lives individually and in our congregations as a, as a group, uh, corporately as we like to say, right? And then scenario number three, there's outsiders with opinions, right? Um, there's all kinds of people who are outside the church who don't claim a belief in Christ who, who have opinions, right? Governments, corporations, organizations, committees, schools, neighbors, friends, enemies, and anybody else you can think of, all sorts of other groups who claim no allegiance to Christ, they still have opinions about uh, what we should be as Christians and what the church should be and do as, as the church. Now, 
Once again, I will say that, that we aren't commanded to get our feathers all ruffled up and, and to you know, go and tell them just how little we care about their opinions. That's not what we're supposed to do. But, but we are supposed to make sure that, that we don't allow their judgments to hold a position of authority and, and sway in our walk with Christ. As we continue on in the text, picking up in verse 18 now, uh, Paul writes these words. He says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with the growth which is from God. The word that Paul uses here for defraud has the meaning of an umpire who rules against you. It's a picture of an official in an athletic setting who makes the decision, you lose. <laughs> you don't get the trophy, you don't get the prize, you're disqualified, you know, to you. <laughs> that's that's the, the picture here that, that Paul uses. Paul is warning and building up the Colossians here, don't let people tell you you're disqualified, right? You, you, you be focusing on Christ and his word. Don't let people tell you from their opinions or from the things they think are wise that aren't in line with Christ's word. Don't let those people tell you you're disqualified and then go, I, well, I thought that I was okay, but they say I'm not. And don't, don't let that happen. Don't let people who participate in uh, these false practices uh, of worship and, and so-called humility don't let them condemn you or tell you you're not on the right path to salvation. Paul's warning and building them up. The Colossians were surrounded by uh, these people who practiced uh, what we call asceticism. Right? It's where you treat your body harshly, supposedly for reasons of humility. Uh, some would, would go without food for long periods of time. Others would abstain from other uh, comforts and conveniences. And, and like I kind of alluded to earlier, um, some would practice self-flagellation where you would flog yourself because, um, of course, you know, the Gnostics taught that uh, your body was evil, that matter is pure evil. And so uh, some of them ran with that in one direction where they said um, that do whatever you want, eat, drink, and be merry because who cares what happens to the body? But others went in the direction of this extreme humility Humility, and they would beat it. They would, they would, they would think that um, acts of self-abuse were acts of humility and acts of righteousness because they were beating this evil matter that they were stuck in, you know. The Colossians also had people around them practicing and teaching angel worship. Now, some Gnostics uh, worshipped what they believed were angels who ruled different levels of heaven or even the elements of the universe, sun, moon, stars. Those of you who are here on Sunday nights, you've heard a lot about that, right? You're kind of like broken record, Jake. Come on, move on. But others worshipped angels because they adopted such an extreme form of so-called humility that they didn't want to approach God directly. Or, or so that was their story anyway, right? They, they took it to the point uh, of supposedly um, they, they could... They felt like they could only offer their worship through angels. They, they didn't want to approach God directly because they were, they were so humble. Oh, I just, I, I couldn't. I'm so humble. I'll, I'll worship an angel instead of God directly. It's hard to even explain how that makes sense. But that's what they were uh, practicing, some of them. That's the reason they practice angel worship. Well, obviously angels are not to be worshipped, right? We have uh, very simple passages like uh, Exodus 20 verses 3 and 4 where... Um, 
the Lord delivers the commandments, right? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, listen to this, or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. And then in Revelation, uh, ver- uh, that looks like, sorry, I got the wrong scripture reference. That's Revelation uh, 22, verses 8 and 9. I didn't change that. I apologize. Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9. The scripture is correct, though, uh, where it says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book, worship God. There's no question about it. You hear that? Worship God, an angel says. There's no question Christians are not to worship angels. And as for uh, avoiding direct worship of God for supposed reasons of extreme humility, we've not been barred from approaching God, and it's not even been implied that that perhaps we shouldn't. We've got passages like Hebrews 4.16 that says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. And then in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 5, Paul writes these words to Timothy the evangelist. He says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man and men, I should say, the man Christ Jesus. There's one mediator between us and God, and it's Jesus. We are taught church, we are taught and encouraged to take full advantage of the gift that we've been given to approach God directly through Jesus Christ because he died for our sins, right? I mean, I mean, it's almost, maybe I'm overstepping a little bit, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but, but I feel, I feel, I shouldn't even say this, right? But I feel like it's a bit of a slap in the face for Jesus to go through the humiliation and the pain and the agony and everything he did on the cross leading up to it and, and going through all that so that he could open up uh, this, this portal of, of, of reconciliation where we could be immersed into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, given his Holy Spirit, be saved, have our relationship reconciled, be clothed with Christ so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin and our, what should be our condemnation, but he sees the righteousness of Christ and he's made it so that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. And then we're like, oh, I'm, I am so humble. I'm not going to use that. I'm not going to take advantage of that gift you've given me. I don't think that's humble. I think that's unwise. Paul says in our text in the second half of uh, verse 18, he says that these people who practice self-abasement and angel worship, he says that they take their stand on visions that they've seen inflated without cause by their fleshly minds. Now, in many cases, these uh, visions they saw, if they saw them at all, the visions that they saw many times were self-induced, whether it was from strong drink or drugs or from all the stuff they were doing to their bodies, going without water for long periods of time, going without food for long periods of time, beating themselves, you know, literally senseless. You're going to see some visions. (laughs) You're going to see some things, right? Paul says these people are inflated without cause by their fleshly minds. In other words, they were being puffed up with pride. It was all vanity. The various ways that they demonstrated their supreme humility. It was all born out of a fleshly mind. It was all born out of pride. But most importantly, as Paul pointed out in verse 19, 
of the text, they were not holding fast to the head. They weren't holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. These people are obviously way off base, okay? Okay, obviously. And we can explain from a variety of different angles and different ways and give different reasons for, for why that's the case. But ultimately, the reason they are wrong is because they aren't holding fast to the head, which is Christ. They are choosing for themselves what is best, how they're going to worship, what they think is best. They're selecting for themselves what is convenient for them, what feels right, what, they, uh, what, what makes them feel good, what they are willing to do, right? There's people who are willing to do all kinds of things that you wouldn't be willing to do, but that's what they're doing, okay? Maybe it looks like, you know, well, that sounds like a rough way to go, you know? It must be humble. It must be righteous. You know, it must be wise, but it's like, no, it's just what they're willing to do. It makes them feel like they've accomplished something and they're very righteous, right? They're doing what they believe will satisfy their desires, don't miss this. It is, our, it is our firm and resolute connection to the head who is Christ that causes the joints and the ligaments, you and me, to supply one another so that God's desired growth happens. So don't decapitate uh, the body. Don't separate yourself, the body, from the head, which is Christ. Don't do that. Uh, two weeks ago, we spoke about how we need to be solidly connected to, the, the, to God's family, right? To the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ. There is immense value in this. And I'm not going to belabor that particular point because we discussed already the, the strong need for a community of hearts that are encouraged, being knit together in love. We, we've talked about that. Paul says here in verse 19, though, that we, that we are supplied and held together by each other. But only when we hold fast to the head. You and I don't hold a whole lot of value to each other when we're just doing our own thing. When we're just uh, puffed up by our own fleshly minds, just doing what feels right to us and, and looks good to the outside world. We're not really helping each other much when that happens. When we're holding fast to the head, when we're solidly connected to him and he's directing what the body does, oh, the joints and the ligaments, you and me, we are absolutely doing what we're supposed to be doing. That is when we grow with a growth which is from God. And yes, that might be physical. That might be adding numbers to our ranks here, but that's definitely spiritual. Definitely going to be spiritual maturity, spiritual growth going on. There's an obvious lesson for us here today, isn't there? When we allow the kind of unhelpful help into our lives like the Colossians we're getting, we put ourselves into a position to be disconnected from the head, disconnected from Christ by our own actions, by our own decisions. When we begin taking advice from people, uh, taking their uh, opinions and their teachings that are, that are vain and, and worthless or even mere shadows, when we start listening to that and acting in accord with what they've told us rather than uh, with that which is in harmony with Christ who is the substance, we disconnect ourselves from him, again, by our own actions. We decapitate the head from the body. And I, I can't think of a situation in, in any, um, any story, any illustration, I can't think of a, a situation where that's a good thing. And certainly not when we're talking about the church. When we separate the body, which is you and I, individually and collectively, from the head, which is Christ. In any scenario, he's the head. Now again, when, when I say that we need to be careful not to 
start acting in accord with these opinions and these teachings and these doctrines that are coming down that aren't in accord with Christ. Uh, again, I, we aren't going to be smart elks or self-righteous about it. We're going to be full of, of grace and kind-hearted, but we're not going to allow these doctrines that clearly violate the nature of Christ and His written word to creep into our worship or to shake our confidence. By Him, Christ, by Him, all things were created, visible and invisible. In Him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He is over all thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. In Him, all the, the fullness of deity dwells. In Him, we've been made complete. We, he, he has made it possible for us to be reconciled to His heavenly Father. There's nothing that anybody is selling that is worth our disconnecting ourselves from the head. There's nothing out there that is worth us uh, decapitating that head from the body. And then the final four verses here are uh, Paul really challenging the Colossians regarding some things that, that perhaps some of them were already participating in. It sounds like maybe they were. Start reading with me in verse 20 here. It says, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are, all, these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Here in verse 20, Paul calls back to their minds their baptism, which, which he had just said in verse 12, we saw that last week, was their burial with him. Their baptism was their burial with him. That's where the death happened, that, that death is being talked about here. And remember all that Paul said happened in that baptism? All that Paul said happened in that burial with Christ? They had been made spiritually complete. They had received the, the spiritual circumcision that is done in the heart by the Holy Spirit. They were raised up from spiritual death. They were raised up to life, new life, made alive with Christ by their faith in the working of God. Paul says now, if you've done all that, if you've separated yourself from the elementary principles of the world through that death with Christ, why are you submitting yourself to these man-made doctrines? Why are you listening to these deceptive teachers? Why are you accepting this unhelpful help that, that like you were part of that world? Why, why are you doing that, guys? That's what Paul is saying. And look at what Paul says in verse 23. Paul said, all of those things the false teachers do, right? Teaching people not to, to handle, not to taste, not to even touch. All those things. These things that he says, uh, um, they are teachings of men that just refer to things that are disposable, right? They're destined to perish with use. They're, they're disposable, uh, which is in a direct, you know, contrast to the very spiritual, eternal, everlasting matters that are the, the principal matters of Christianity. Paul says in verse 23 that these things have an appearance of wisdom. Yeah, absolutely. Some people will look at these things and say like, that, that looks wise, but they don't have any actual uh, value against fleshly indulgence. First of all, they aren't from God, right? They, they aren't from God. Paul says they're self-made religion. They're, they come from self-made religion. All these things they do to themselves and put themselves through to show how humble they are, doesn't that sound kind of oxymoronic? 
I'm not sure if that's really a word, but you know what I mean when I say it, right? All these things they do to themselves to show how humble they are, it's all self-made religion. God didn't tell them to do that. They decided to do that on their own. We've already talked about that, right? And all this self-abasement, severe treatment of the body, hurting themselves, depriving themselves of things. Sure, to some, like I said, it may look like that's what wise, humble people, spiritual people must do. But God's word says it's worthless. Here in the real world, it doesn't work like that. Here in God's world, it doesn't work like that. Godliness is the key. Godliness is the key. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 uh, Paul's writing to Timothy here. He says, for bodily discipline. Now, don't think that when I bring up this scripture, I'm comparing what Paul's talking about with bodily discipline to self-flagellation and depriving yourself of of food and water (coughs) because you think that the body and all matter is evil. That's not what's going on here. So please don't take it that way. He says, for bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things, right? So see, it doesn't, it doesn't um, set aside the physical. It doesn't set aside the spiritual. It says that godliness, focus on that, godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So again, don't misunderstand this. The Bible teaches uh, discipline, physical discipline. The Bible teaches self-control. The Bible teaches us to use our bodies properly, to offer them as a living sacrifice in service to God. But God's word puts it in proper perspective, right? You focus on true godliness, doing good works, trusting him, um, obeying his word, being holy because he is holy. You focus on godliness like that and it'll take care of everything in this life and the next. If your focus is on that rather than, well, let me just see how humble I can be here. This is going to hurt. You know, if you focus on godliness instead, it's going to take care of all of that. You don't need to beat your body down because you hate it so much. Because you think it's just so doggone evil. You need to fear God and respect Him, uh, reverence Him. Respect what He's given you. He's given you a gift. This body is a, a gift. I know some of us are like, doesn't feel like much of a gift, you know. But it is a gift that He's given you to serve Him with. So fight through the pain Fight through the sickness, fight through the achiness, fight through uh, just the overall, you know, unhappiness, you know, dissatisfaction with what it looks like or how it functions and all that stuff and serve him with it. He's giving you a gift, but but sure don't beat it and say like, look how humble I am. That's that's garbage. That's nonsense right there. Abusing your, your body is abusing a gift that he's given you and that is of no value. That is unhelpful, all right? Spiritual discipline, godliness, it's profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and, of course, for the life to come. Church, there are a million and one opinions, philosophies, and doctrines being shouted out at us in our world today. And here's a simple way to avoid letting all the noise flood into your life and get you off balance as you're trying to walk the straight and narrow way. Don't don't allow those on the outside to have control over how you're living for Christ. You focus on Christ, right? You, you focus on the head of the body. Right there. Focus on the head. Don't decapitate. Don't, don't dismiss or disconnect the head from the body in any way. 
and focus on true godliness. Don't get caught up in what others are doing that looks right or has the appearance of wisdom. You focus on true godliness. It'll take care of the present life, all that needs to be done in the present life, and it'll take care of your future life, eternal life with Him in glory. There's a lot of so-called help out there that's being made available to us. And in many cases, uh, kind of being forced onto us, right? Being pushed onto us at least. But much of it is, like we said, unhelpful. And why is it unhelpful, ultimately? Because if you look at it closely, it lacks the substance, which is Christ. Christ. 